Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Wake up every morning with just the news. All the news and none of the noise. Hey there, welcome to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. Glad you're here with us. It is a big day. Wow, it's the first week of January, and it seems like this week could be the week of all weeks for this whole year. Lots of news today between what will happen on Capitol Hill with Mike Pence and the Senate and the House convening to count the electors. I want to turn, though, to Georgia. Last night, Georgia voted. Today, Congress uh, uh, is the dust is settling about who will control the Senate. Let's walk through what happened late last night. First of all, I went to bed. I know a lot of folks went to bed seeing that both the Republican candidates were ahead by a couple points. These were results around 11 o'clock at night. You can see them here on screen. This was with 92.45% precincts reporting. David Perdue was up 2.057 million to 1.939 million for John Ossoff. For Kelly Loeffler, it was 2.041 million to Raphael Warnock's 1.955 million. So that was at 11 p.m. at night. And the, the mechanics here just seemed so familiar to a lot of Republicans who went to bed on the general election night in November with the president leading ahead. So that was 11 o'clock at night last night. And the president put out a tweet. He said this. He says, looks like they are setting up a big voter dump against the Republican candidates waiting to see how many votes they need. Then roll forward the tape with 100% of the precincts reporting. The race was called for Raphael Warnock with 2.227 million votes and 50.61% of the margin to Kelly Loeffler's 2.174 million and 49.39% of the vote there with 100% precincts of the 100% of the precincts reporting. So there you have it and the race has been called by some media outlets for the other race with Purdue and Ossoff in Georgia with 100% of the precincts reporting John Ossoff with the victory at 2.209 million with 50.19% of the margin. David Perdue with 2.192 million and 49.81% of the vote. So this is very disappointing for the Republicans. Obviously, they were hoping that at least one of these seats would be going back to or being retained in Republican hands. The Senate has been seen as sort of the last firewall for President Trump's agenda, that it could have been a stopgap to the House, which is now going to be continued to be gaveled under the leadership of Nancy Pelosi. This 
apparently does not look like it's going to happen. The margin for David Perdue and John Ossoff appears that it could go into a runoff territory, in which case if it does, then it looks like we will be moving to a runoff uh, or, excuse me, a recount. Um, however, given what we saw with the presidential, the likelihood of any sort of margin being uh, changed here um, is unlikely. So we are going to turn now to Hogan Gidley, who is with the Trump campaign, to talk about this as well as what will happen later today in Congress. Hey there. Good morning, Hogan. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the time. So just we walked through these Georgia results. What's your read? What's the mood there at the Trump campaign? What's the sense this has got to be disappointing? Well, it's disappointing, not just for the campaign, not for the president's legacy, not just for the control of the United States Senate. It's disappointing for the future of the country. What you have is a Democrat party that has embraced radical socialist ideas, radical agenda items that will fundamentally reshape the future of this country. Um, you know, this, this campaign was pretty clear that America is the greatest idea ever realized. It is a beacon of hope and of strength and of mercy and of freedom all over the world. Now, we've done more to lift people out of poverty globally than anybody in world history. We can talk about the greatness of America because we believe in that greatness. Democrats can't talk about it because they don't. And what they've been telling the American people, promising the American people, is that give us the Senate, as Chuck Schumer said, and we're going to change America. We were saying give us the Senate and we'll protect America, to say nothing of President Trump's legacy that produced record-setting accomplishments in record-setting time for the American people, making their lives better. Democrats have decided that America's evil that we're the cause of the world's problems, and they want to change this country. And believe these politicians when they tell you this is what they want to do. And now, if they in fact do have the United States Senate, they do have the House of Representatives, and they do have the presidency, then I'm very concerned deeply for the future of this country. I want to ask, though, about the president's influence, because I heard someone put it really interestingly that even if President Trump loses or has lost the White House, he's changed the way a lot of people think, that a lot of people were kind of asleep at the wheel, that a lot of this leftist creep had been happening, and they had just sort of been acquiescing or just letting it slide, so that the culture, that the president really changed the culture in the sense of not just sitting there and taking it and not even, uh, maybe not even realizing what was happening. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, he also made it okay for Republicans to fight back. I think that uh, oftentimes people say that Donald Trump destroyed democracy. That's what the left says. He, he destroyed um, you know, the, the, the politics and the political landscape in this country. That's not true. Um, this was well destroyed by the media, the left, big tech, big corporations um, for, uh, for a long time. President Trump just showed up and pronounced it dead. He's basically the coroner. He's not the killer. He's the coroner. And showed up and said, look, these institutions are, are, are evil. They, they've, they've been corrupted and co-opted by so many um, who don't have America's best interest at heart. And he, he told the Republican Party, you can fight back. You don't have to be the lovable loser anymore. You can point out when the media is lying. You can point out when big tech censors you and says, we're not doing that anymore. We don't have to do things the way they used to be done to get results. He was an outsider, still is. He's a businessman. He understands the speed needed to make fundamental changes in this country that benefit uh, every single American at every single level. He did that. And I think it opened the eyes of a lot of Republicans. I mean, let's remember, 
this president saw record-setting numbers of African-Americans vote for him, Hispanic-Americans vote for him. The inclusivity of the party has completely changed with what he has done with record-setting employment, high numbers for African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, and women. What he did with criminal justice reform and opportunity zones, really opening the eyes, building coalitions across the African-American community, showing that, um, you know, that, that, that we can get things done uh, for everybody. And then this election comes around in Georgia, and you, you start to wonder what exactly is going on because this president is also pointing out how Democrats have been working to steal elections and rig elections for decades. And I think the, uh, the American people understand that, and I think the Republican sure. Party is stronger because of Donald Trump's leadership. All right, Hogan, stay with us. We're going to go to a quick commercial break. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be right back. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey there, good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. We are going through what's going to be happening later today. President Trump yesterday tweeting out about Vice President Biden, or excuse me, Vice President Pence, and he says the Vice President has the power to reject fraudulently chosen electors. He tweeted this out. And let's also listen to him on tape. He was at the rally in Georgia before the election on Monday. Let's take a listen to that. And I hope Mike Pence comes through for us, I have to tell you. I hope that our great vice president, our great vice president comes through for us. He's a great guy. Of course, if he doesn't come through, I won't like him quite as much. No, Mike is a great guy. So we've seen reporting from places like Reuters, uh, you putting headlines that saying despite Trump pressure, Pence will not block Biden's election certification, according to advisors. The Wall Street Journal has reported this as well. Joining me again is Hogan Gidley from the Trump campaign, who's going to answer this. What is Vice President Pence going to do? Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see exactly what happens once they get to the floor later today. But uh, the vice president has been an outstanding ally and advocate for the president of the United States. He's been a perfect number two. I've been in so many meetings with the vice president and the president and um, watching him work is 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 um, you know, truly an inspiration. And it's been good for the country. Um, this vice president has a couple of opportunities here, and I'm not exactly sure you know, what the Constitution outlines here. I know some constitutional scholars are are at odds over what he can actually do and not do. But the president put out a statement last night, and it basically said that Mike Pence has the ability to decertify some of these results, send it back to the states, or send it back to the House. So we'll see what happens. But I do know that these congressmen and these senators who are going to object today to the seating of these electors on, on various grounds, one will be that the Constitution was violated in several of these states um, because the state legislatures, as you know, are given the responsibility by the United States Constitution to set up how our elections are run. And in many of these states, that didn't happen. It was done by a rogue, partisan, leftist secretary of state, some from the judicial branch in those states. Um, some even had election commissions and boards that changed the way the elections were conducted. So 
that that's all un- unconstitutional on those grounds. And I think the senators and congressmen are going to make that that case. But also they're going to outline the instances of fraud, of illegality, of abuse, um, point to so many anomalies that occurred on the ground in these states. And, you know, quite frankly, this is going to be the first time that the American people and a lot of these sitting office holders have heard any of this evidence. They've been buying the lie from the mainstream media that this election was totally free and totally fair. And remember, leading up to this, the Democrats told us Russia was going to meddle. They told us that Donald Trump was ruining this by destroying the post office. And and Hillary Clinton told Joe Biden, don't you dare concede under any circumstance whatsoever. And then the day after the election, when the perception was that Joe Biden had won, all of a sudden, this is a great election. There were no problems. Give me a break. And I think one other point I'll make is this. These congressmen and these senators, these state house members in these various states, you know, their whole goal, I learned this in politics 101, you know, a decade ago in college, their whole goal is to get reelected. You don't get reelected unless you do what your constituents want you to do. These constituents, these American citizens, many of whom are in D.C. today outside my apartment, I can hear them chanting and walking down um, the street right now heading to a rally. They saw this fraud firsthand. They saw people acting in a manner that was unconstitutional to the state law. They saw the illegalities. They saw these things occurring in real time. And they're demanding satisfaction. It's not that they want to overturn the election. It's that they want to have confidence. They want to have faith that when they cast a vote legally, it counts. And when people cast votes illegally, they do not. And I think that this this, um, scene we're going to see play out today on on the House floor is really going to be um, uh, quite something. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen, but but uh, the objectors are going to lay out a really strong case because there is a strong case to be made, and I think the American people deserve to hear it. Hogan, yesterday on this program, we had a former Mitt Romney advisor. He is a Trump supporter. He said he believes that there could be, in the summertime, very well a reversal of some votes or a reversal of some results. He mentioned specifically, for example, in Georgia, those results could be overturned. He said possibly Arizona or Nevada, that there could be some other states. Do you think that's true? Do you think that we could see some results that are overturned? But at that point, it would be either too little too late to have any impact because Biden's already sworn in or just not enough to change the Electoral College overall count. There's more than enough instances of fraud and illegalities to overturn the uh, – and I hate to use the word overturn to, – to actually count real votes. There's more than enough fraud out there to kick out some of the ones that, that gave Biden some of these numbers he's seeing. I mean 2.6 million votes cast in Pennsylvania alone weren't signature matched. That's against the law in Pennsylvania. We had 28,000 votes cast in Wisconsin that were cast – without people showing identification. That's against the law in Wisconsin. 17,000 were ballot harvested at a Democrat event in Wisconsin. That's against the law in Wisconsin. Uh, I believe it was Nevada. You had 40,000 votes that were counted twice. That's also against the law. So as we begin to kind of outline this information, we'll see what it does to the eventual outcome. But it becomes problematic the further the train gets down the tracks. And I'll use this analogy. We're getting into playoff football season. You've seen some bowl games. We're getting ready for the NFL to get to the Super Bowl. What we're, what we're struggling with here, it's like as if uh, there was a contested touchdown to win the Super Bowl. And the refs say, well, go ahead and give it to this team 
And then we'll go back and review it after you give them the Super Bowl rings, after you do the confetti, after you give them the trophy and the banners. And then we'll see if we can overturn it later on. That's ridiculous. You have to do it now so that the proper person is put in place in the White House. Okay. And so what we're seeing is the potential for this thing to be overturned, maybe not today, maybe not uh, in weeks. The summer, as is that, is that person from, from Mitt Romney's uh, camp said, that's potential as well. I don't know what that would do. But the country's struggling a lot right now to try and change this outcome you know, in, in the summer is, is, is very problematic and very dangerous. But what's more dangerous is allowing a fraudulent, a fraudulent election to stand, allow votes that should not be counted to be counted. That really risks the future of democracy in this country, the future of our very republic. And if you think the American people are going to stand for the fact that this election was rigged on the front end, that Democrats got caught cold um, uh, doing it, and, and, and they're not. And I'm watching it unfold, like I said, outside my window. I'm going to watch it in D.C. today in the cold weather, the rain. They're out, and they're furious, not because they think Donald Trump lost, but because their votes were, in essence, thrown out. That is a serious problem for the American people. And however that manifests itself between now and when we find out the real winner and the real numbers from this election uh, remains to be seen. But it needs to be done because the American people deserve to have that faith that their system is legitimate. And we have put forth legitimate legal arguments to expose the illegitimate illegal behavior from the left. And I think we're going to uh, eventually win. All right. Hogan Gidley, Trump 2020 National Press Secretary. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And stay with us. I have a Congressman, Mo Brooks, who is going to be part of that challenge at 1 p.m. today. You don't want to miss this interview. Stay tuned. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So walk us through, 1 o'clock this afternoon, you have plans to do something that has been done by some Democrats unsuccessfully, but you have more people on board for your challenge. What are you going to do differently, and how do you think you're going to be successful? Well, at 1 p.m. today, the House and Senate are going to meet in the House chamber with President Mike Pence presiding over that meeting. It's called a Joint Session of Congress, and we're going to have a roll call of the states in alphabetical order, beginning with Alabama and we'll work our way through. After each state, Mike Pence is going to ask if there are any objections. When we get to Arizona, there will be an objection. That objection will be entered by Congressman Paul Gosar on the House side and Senator Ted Cruz on the Senate side, at which point we will adjourn that joint session of Congress for two hours. There'll be two hours of debate in the House, two hours of debate in the Senate, followed by votes on whether to accept or reject the Electoral College submittals of the state of Arizona, based in part on a rather flawed election process in Arizona this go-around, and also in part on the fact 
that the Arizona legislature is still considering whether or not the Electoral College vote that purportedly is being submitted later today is the valid one that represents the will of the Arizona people. Once we get through with that Arizona debate, we'll continue alphabetically through the order of the states and we, until we get to the very last one, which if my memory serves me correctly, is probably Wyoming. Uh, that having been said, on the House side, we've got literally dozens of congressmen who are joining in the effort to object to the Electoral College submittals of Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, six different states. Uh, I'm familiar with uh, co-sponsors on the Senate side. You have to have a co-sponsor from the Senate side or else your objection is just dismissed uh, at the get-go. So I want to thank... So in Congressman, will this process... Well, so this process will then stretch on for 12 hours because you're talking six states for two hours apiece. Is that correct? Well, if we have all six states, co-sponsors in the House and the Senate for each, it probably will last somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 to 24 hours because of the rather slow way in which votes are processing. But there will be two hours of debate. There'd be the time for the senators to walk to and from uh, the Senate side of the House Capitol, excuse me, to, of the Capitol over to the House chamber. And then you've got the time that it takes to actually cast the votes. And so you've got limitations in this COVID-19 environment on how quickly those votes can transpire. Traditionally, so far over the last eight or nine months, those House votes have taken roughly an hour, uh, when normally they might take as little as two to five minutes. So those so, are some so of the let restrictions me, let me that see we're if have I, uh... to overcome. Sure. So let me see if I understand this then. So let's just say the Arizona example. So you're going to have the Arizona objection. Then you have the debate for two hours. Is there then a vote for Arizona and for each state specifically, or do they wait until all objections have been heard at the very end and then go for the vote, boom, 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 across the board? Or is it vote for each state as the objections come up? There will be the objection on the House floor. Then the bodies will separate where the Senate walks over to the Senate side. The House stays on the House side. Then you'll have two hours of debate on Arizona. Then you'll have a vote on Arizona. And then the Senate will come back over to the House side and we will resume the joint session of Congress with whatever state is in alphabetical order after the state of Arizona. We will continue the roll call of the states until we say come to Georgia, where there will be a senator and a congressman who will jointly object. And then we'll repeat that process and we'll keep doing that until we're concluded. Now, under Title III, United States Code 17, we can recess until 10 a.m. the next morning, should we so decide. But I don't know if that's what Nancy Pelosi, Mike Pence, or whoever the majority leader of the Senate is going to have in charge of the Senate, if that's what they want to do. Sure, every, everything's so uncertain and we're going to get the vote count. But in terms of the outcome here, so there are Republicans who have said they reject this. Senator Tom Cotton, for example, Senator Mitt Romney. It doesn't seem that you have the votes that you need to successfully challenge this. So why are you continuing to proceed? I have a choice. I can either fight for my country or I can surrender. And I guarantee you, I am not a part of the Surrender Caucus. We have had massive fraud and election theft in 2020 in a variety of different ways. The evidence is overwhelming. It is compelling. This is our limited amount of time in which to present that evidence to the American people. I wish we had more time in a court of law where I've litigated on many occasions. We'd have far more time than we're being allowed to decide something as important as whether various states have corrupt election systems, 
whether their electoral college vote should be accepted or rejected, and who's going to be the next president of the United States. Uh, nonetheless, we're working with what we have, but I want the American people to understand this. If all of the Republican senators and congressmen stuck together and fought this election fraud rather than acquiesce to it, we would win this fight. But unfortunately, we do have some Republican congressmen and some Republican senators who to date have acquiesced to voter fraud and election theft rather than fighting it. So I'm going to fight it. Maybe some more of those people change their mind and decide that they want to join us in our fight against voter fraud and election theft and for honest and accurate elections, because quite frankly, Congressman, that's do you, what these do you have are all any, about. Congressman, do you have any Democrats who have said that they would cross over? Of course Maybe not. Some Democrats. The Democrats are the ones who have been promoting this election fraud. They're the ones who have made the laws that have created the loopholes that the Democrats have so successfully exploited in 2020, whether it be by way of example, the 1993 National Voter Registration Act that makes it illegal for our voter registrars to require proof of citizenship when a non-citizen or an illegal alien demands to be registered to vote. That's crazy. That's a huge flaw in our election system that enables non-citizens to participate and vote. You know, you want to talk about foreign interference? This is it. When you have foreign individuals who are not American citizens voting our elections and canceling out the votes of American citizens. That is wrong. That is what the Democrats have done. And that's what makes it so difficult for us to change the law or to win this fight tomorrow. Congressman, I want to ask you about Vice President Pence, because Donald Trump has been very outspoken, the president, in his Georgia rally right before the election, the special election. He said that he hopes that the, pre the vice president will take action and support what you all are doing. He said that if he doesn't, he won't like him so much. Have you spoken with Vice President Pence? Get us inside his head. What have you heard? What do you think that he's going to do? Mike Pence is an honorable individual. He is a smart individual. He's a conservative. I only talked with him about the process that is going to take place when we make our objections. What form do they need to be in so that we can make sure he is satisfied so that he will then recess that joint session of Congress? Personally, I believe he's got a lot of discretion. And personally, given the stakes that are involved as to whether America is going to be free enterprise or socialism, if I were him, I would use that discretion to try to make sure that we have an honest and accurate count of the will of American voters that, quite frankly, is absent because of the extent of this massive voter fraud and election theft. But Mike Pence has to do what he believes is appropriate for him to do as vice president of the United States. So I can't speak for him, but I can tell you if I was in that chair, I'd, pretty, I'd be pretty aggressive, very aggressive in fighting for my country under these circumstances. And I hope and pray that Vice President Mike Pence will do the same. And when it comes to the outcome itself, what will happen if your outcome is unsuccessful? Well, if we are unsuccessful, then Joe Biden will be sworn in as the next illegitimate president of the United States of America. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
Hey there, good morning and welcome back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. We've been tracking what's happening in Georgia and we will keep you posted here on Real America's Voice about the 1 p.m. Congress meeting, the House and the Senate meeting to talk about the Electoral College. Joining me right now, though, is Steve Cortez. He's a senior advisor to the Trump 2020 campaign. Hey there, Steve. Good morning. So, Steve, you have a new op-ed out. The headline is not subtle at all. It says Republic or Oligarchy. And you go in and you say that rather than a mandate, he would enter, Biden would enter the Oval Office hobbled from the jump with election malfeasance and damning Chinese Communist Party bribery allegations hanging over his new presidency like twin dismal clouds. What specifically did you mean when you said oligarchy, though? Well, what I, well, what I mean is this, is that uh, we have the very real possibility, if Joe Biden is sworn in on January 20th, that we will have the first commander in chief who is not only compromised by a foreign power, not just a foreign power, but a foreign adversary of the United States, as I mentioned in my article, but who was also elected through an illegal and illegitimate process. Now, who put him in power then if it was not the American people? Well, it would be a small group of very powerful actors, and that is really the definition uh, of an oligarchy. And I named three groups specifically because I think it's, it's important for us to be very precise here rather than just throw out slogans. Uh, and the groups I'm talking about are the corporate media, big tech, and I would say big corporations in general, but primarily big tech. So number one, corporate media, number two, big tech, and then number three, establishment politicians. And by the way, I mean establishment politicians of both parties, because unfortunately there are plenty of Republicans who are willing to play ball with the establishment uh, when it comes to subverting the will of the people in this election. And I really believe that if Joe Biden is sworn in as the most doubted, and he would be the most doubted, most illegitimate new president in all of American history, it would mark the transformation of America from a republic into an oligarchy. And we have a lot of historical examples for this, by the way, unfortunately. You know, if we look, for example, to the classical era, if we look at the Roman Republic, it continued to call itself a republic after it had devolved into an oligarchy and eventually into an outright dictatorship. I fear that same process can be happening here in the United States. Our founders were very aware of that, by the way. Uh, they tried to channel and borrow the best of the classical world without succumbing to the subsequent fate uh, that that fall upon Rome and, uh, and and they really did their very best through the through the checks and balances that they embedded in our constitution and in our foundation to avoid that fate. But I fear that if the people don't stand tall today, this is a fulcrum day, fulcrum week for this country, that we are that we are in fact following a similar fate. But my point too of writing it is not just to bemoan uh, the negativity here and the and the potential downfall for the United States uh, into oligarchy, but also to exhort the American people, to exhort patriots out there to take their duty very solemnly and seriously and to make sure that we do, in fact, maintain this glorious republic of the greatest nation in the history of the world. I believe that we can. The pressure is building. We got good news yesterday, great news, out of the state of Pennsylvania, the, the Commonwealth there, the, the state Senate in Harrisburg has sent a letter now officially to the United States Congress saying that their votes, the majority, according to the majority, the Republican majority, that their vote should not, in fact, be certified today. Sure. Um, in well, and it's interesting because uh, speaking of Pennsylvania, in your article, you also have a chart where you go through and you list. This is a for, taken from Peter Navarro's report, and we're having Peter Navarro later on in the program. 
looking at these issues of bribery, fake ballot manufacturing, indefinitely confined voter abuses, ineligible voters and voters who vote, voted in multiple states, dead voters, counting ball ballots multiple times, illegal out-of-state voters, you go through these battleground states of Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, showing how there is either widespread evidence or some evidence of all of these um, scattered throughout these different battleground states. So Pennsylvania has most of these allegations here on this chart. So when it comes to these allegations, but the courts, the courts didn't seem to see things your way. So why is there a disconnect between that and, and this? Sure. And a couple of important points. You know, first of all, in Pennsylvania, unfortunately, their state Supreme Court is a highly partisan court. Uh, you know, it does not act um, in any way as an impartial judge or an impartial set of judges, unfortunately. But here's the reality, too. When it comes to actual suits brought by the Trump campaign, the, the corporate media loves to say that we're over 60 or over 70. They love to throw numbers around. The Trump campaign itself has actually engaged in very few court cases. Now, a lot of these other court cases, admittedly, are from allies or from people who are pursuing the same goals. But the campaign itself has only uh, filed a few suits, most of which are still yet to be heard. Uh, including, by the way, some really important appeals before the United States Supreme Court, which may still be heard after the election, which I think is a dereliction of duty by the highest court of this land. But here's my other, uh, I think, important point here, Carrie. Uh, while I wish the courts had intervened, and I think they had a duty in many cases to intervene, most of the time they refused to even hear the evidence at all. So it's not as though we had a robust uh, argumentation in front of these courts and then lost. Most of the time they said somebody doesn't have standing. They use process reasons to not hear the case at all. But regardless, it's really not constitutionally uh, the mandate of the courts here to intervene. It's the mandate of the state legislatures. The Constitution is very clear uh, that the state legislatures, no one else, not governors, not courts, they are first and foremost uh, mm -hmm. Steve, uh, I want to ask they, you real quick in just a few sure. seconds. We did an original poll with Scott Rasmussen. We asked, who do you believe legitimately won the presidential election this year? 31% said Donald Trump, but also 10% said they're not sure. This is a huge chunk. Real quick, 10 seconds. Why is there such a big group of people who either don't know or think that Trump won? Well, you know, listen, two reasons. There was an enormous amount of fraud and there was also an unconstitutional process. And the American people, quite rightly, smell a rat. They know that this election was not clean. They know it is not valid. And because of that, they're, they're very proper skepticism pervades. That's unfortunate for our country, but that is just the reality. All right. Thanks so much, Steve Cortez. We appreciate it. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Peter Navarro. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey there, welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, and glad you're with us. Well. Our founder, John Solomon, put out his latest article about what happened with Peter Navarro. Peter Navarro yesterday dropped a new bombshell. It's the second volume of his election integrity report, and it's called The Art of the Steel. Now, volume one of the report was called The Immaculate Deception. This one is called The Art of the Steel. 
This is his more detailed examination into election irregularities in the six battleground states that decided the 2020 election. Peter joins me now. Morning, Peter. Good morning, Carrie. How are you? Doing well. So what are the biggest takeaways? What did you play the movie forward beyond what was in your first report? And what's the biggest takeaways you want people to get? Well, the biggest takeaway is we saw last night in Georgia, basically, uh, they, they used the same techniques uh, to uh, win last night as they did to steal the election uh, from, from Donald Trump. Uh, the first uh, Immaculate Deception report illustrated how over six battleground states, you had Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. There were these six dimensions of election irregularities. You showed that earlier uh, on your segment with Cortez. People asked me after the report came out, how did they do that? So I went back and looked uh, basically at the origins of this strategy. And uh, let me uh, let me show you a chart here, a couple of charts here. This is basically the, the Democrat Party stuffed the ballot box grand strategy. What they did uh, it virtually as soon as uh, President Trump won in 2016 is they set in motion things that would, on the one hand, dramatically increase the number of absentee and mail-in ballots in the battleground states. And at the same time, they effectively did the political equivalent of defunding the police. You defund the police, you get more crime. In this case, what they did is they, they, did, they took election cops off the beat, essentially. So you get this flood of ballots going in uh, to the battleground states and nobody's looking whether they're legal or not. And what you, what you have, um, if you look in this chart here, at the bottom there, column seven with the Biden alleged victory margin, you see very, very thin, thin margins. You compare that to the possible illegal ballots and it just absolutely dwarfs it. And then here's here's like the, the, the um, let me show you one more here. Um, this one here is kind of like the, uh, the, the big reveal, essentially. This is how they did it, mostly legal means to, to their illegal end. Uh, but they also bent and broke the law. And so what they did was they used uh, changes in the law at the state legislature level. Sometimes they were referenda that were funded by people like George Soros. Secretaries of state uh, would change the rules, change the guidance, sometimes breaking the law. You had a number of court cases that went their way. And then uh, Mark Zuckerberg funded what effectively uh, was the privatization of our election system. Well, it was a hostile takeover of the of the election machinery in places like Dane County in Wisconsin, which is the Milwaukee area, and Wayne County um, in Michigan, which is the Detroit area. So um, a, an elaborate, uh, coordinated effort from the get-go, uh, they understood that this is these presidential elections are not national elections. They they are they come down to a few states and they, they focus like a laser beam in there. And the end result was they stole the election from the president. Peter, do you think this is the new normal? Because this all happened during COVID and, and these things you're describing were covered under that mantle of COVID. But do you think this is now going to be normalized? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. There's nothing normal about what's going on here, first of all. And you're absolutely right that the uh, communist, Chi uh, communist Chinese Party's virus, the pandemic, was used basically uh, as a shield for a lot of these reforms that they did. Uh, but, but that came late in the game. A lot of this was already set in motion. Uh, the, the, the snow was coming down the hill uh, and, and going to run over us. 
but uh, I think what what is important is today. Today is, I think, one of the most historic days in the history of this republic. On Capitol Hill, Vice President Michael Pence has the chance, working with the Republicans, to basically say, hey, we need 10 days to investigate this. And if you investigate this, you will see that these are uh, illegal v- votes that were cast. Uh, and that's got to happen. So I, you know, this is this is we will look back on this. And uh, we understood back in 1960 that um, Kennedy, through Mayor Daley, stole that election from Richard Nixon. We didn't understand it at that time took decades for historians and to acknowledge it. This deal is so much more complicated. It will be a stain on the American Republic if this deal is allowed to stand. Peter, do you think that some states, I had someone on my program yesterday who used to work for Mitt Romney. He is a Trump supporter now. And he says that he thinks some results could be changed in certain states that in the summer, perhaps, we could see these results be overturned. Do you agree with that? I have no idea where that gentleman's coming from on this. Uh, I don't know what the summertime would be. A little bit late to have six months worth of an illegitimate and illegal president. Uh, so I, I think what needs to happen, I, I can't emphasize this m- more. There's, there's, there's tons of evidence that this was uh, an illegal election. There's tons of it in these battleground states. Thousands of pages of documents, witnesses. Today on the Hill, Vice President made this most decision life to become a president and say this smells we need to look into it we've got give you 10 days to look into it and if you look into it remember those thin margins carry those thin margins like in, in Georgia it's like 12,000 votes Arizona it's 10,000 votes and and the amount of illegal votes just dwarf that. This was stolen from Donald Trump but more importantly it was stolen from the people I, I end the report. The Art of the Steel report saying it's a brass knuckles punch to the face of the American people, and it is. All right, Peter Navarro, we got to leave it right there. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Take care, Carrie. Stay with us. We'll be right back with just a little bit more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey there, welcome back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're with us. So if you wanted a map, your guide to all things MAGA rallies today, we've got it here. There's a lot happening here in the nation's capital. This is your MAGA rally map guide. You can look this up online. You can see there's the March for Trump. The doors have already opened here at 7 o'clock Eastern. There is the Freedom Rally happening at 12 o'clock. That's from 12 to noon. That is at the U.S. Capitol. You can also see there's the Wild Protest that is happening from 10 to 5. That is, uh, it's called the We the People Must Take the U- to the U.S. Capitol Lawn. So that's happening near the Capitol as well. And then there's the Jericho March, which is faith-based. That's from 1145 to 1230. That is starting with a U.S. Capitol blessing. And they're going to be blowing their horns. So you're going to see them blowing their horns just like they do with Jericho. That's happened uh, with the Bible. And on a personal note, I have been hosting my cousins. They drove, no joke, 
2,000 miles straight up from Utah. They were in Orem and they are here. You can see they were on the metro this morning, metroing in to go to McPherson Square to walk over to the elliptical at the White House to listen to President Donald Trump. He is going to be speaking at 11 o'clock this morning. We are going to be broadcasting that and carrying it live here at Real America's Voice. Uh, watch for our coverage throughout the rest of the day. Our correspondents, our anchors are going to be giving you all that you need to know about what's happening as folks are standing up and they're having their voices heard. Stay tuned right here, though, because War Room with Steve Bannon is coming up next.